What's going on, Dolphins fans? Kyle Krabs, Locked on Dolphins. Power to the pod. We're on a short week. Doesn't matter. We're getting in the mailbag. What do you want to talk about? We're going to find out today here on the show. Locked on Dolphins. Let's dive in. You are Locked on Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, Dolphins fans? Kyle Krabs, Locked on Dolphins. It's power to the pod. You know what that means. It's the mailbag episode. We do it once a week. All the things that you want to talk about are the things that we are going to dive into today on the show. I want to thank you guys for making Locked on Dolphins your first Miami Dolphins listen of the day. So pumped up to dive in the mailbag, forgetting how to talk here. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NFL. Today on the show, mailbag. We got Twitter questions. We got a couple DMs. We got a couple Instagram messages. We got some podcast reviews that, of course, is usually where we start these things. And that is where we are going to start today. Some of these questions, the ones that are relevant, are carryovers from last week. And I think there's some really good player questions that are player-centric and focused in here that the storyline is continuing to play out as we've seen over the course of yet another game in week three that I think is really worth us talking about and committing a little bit of time to. So we're going to start with FinFan927 with a question about Channing Tindall. Kyle, after your observation of the game review, and this is after the Baltimore game, but I think it's relevant against uh, Buffalo as well. Do you think Channing Tindall would have helped make a difference in containing a running quarterback, or do you think he will help um, if he if he's healthy? Thanks for the content and fins up from Cali. Fins up indeed. Um, so Channing, I think what's what's clear about the draft selections that the Dolphins made this year, and Skylar Thompson and Channing Tindall and Eric Azucama. They are players, and you could put Cameron Good in here as well, but not to the same extent, I think. The players the Dolphins picked are players that very clearly they selected with a long-term view in mind and not with the necessity of forcing these players prematurely into action. Would the athleticism and size of Channing Tindall be impactful against a mobile quarterback? Absolutely. But at what cost, at what risk, at what potential miscommunications in your defensive structure? If you didn't have Duke Riley playing the kind of football that Duke Riley's playing right now, I would say yes. But Duke Riley is playing very good football for the Miami Dolphins as a linebacker right now. I cannot understate that enough. I know I got off the All-22 review yesterday and I sung Duke Riley's praises and I sung his praises on social media during the game about how he needs to play more. But his, his mobility and range and how he's pretty patient in the open field as a tackler, too. Like, yes, he doesn't give you the downhill thump potential that Elandon Roberts currently provides you. Like, currently, if you took the best of Elandon and you took the best of Duke and you put him into one player, that's what Channing can become down the stretch. But I think the Dolphins right now, especially coming off of playing two MVP candidates, in consecutive weeks and collecting wins against both of them and being 
two explosive plays against Baltimore away from limiting them to offensively, I, I think pretty effectively. And, you know, Ben don't break against Buffalo. I, I don't see the urgency to get him on the field prematurely. If you were really struggling and you couldn't keep your head above water and we were floundering, yeah, maybe you throw him out there and try something. But you got a player in Duke Riley who can give you all of the things that you hope Channing can from a range perspective. And you have a player in Elandon who can give you all the things you hope to see from Channing from a physicality perspective. It's just not a universal player that can be out there whether you're in base personnel or you're in nickel packages. That's all. And if you can mix and match the personnel and you can find the right mix and match between the two, let's not rush him. This is a player who is relatively inexperienced coming out of Georgia, did not play a lot of football for the Georgia Bulldogs, but has all the potential in the world. Uh, John, no question. <laughs> Big question in all caps is the title of the review. No question here. Just thanks for the podcast. I'd always enjoy listening from up in Boston. Oh, bless you for living up in that neck of the woods. Uh, and thanks for listening to the show. Uh, GM Hindsight with questions on two players on defense. And I think these are two players that, again, this review was left after Baltimore, but this is still very much relevant here for us now coming out of the Buffalo game. So happy you got to enjoy the Baltimore game in person. Must have been exhilarating. After a few games, there are two players that have intrigued me for different reasons. One, Jalen Phillips is off to a slow start. Two, Cater Coe, who appears to be an ascending player, who may be in that solid starter category soon. What have you seen from the All-22 that stands out on both players? Okay, so I know I talked a little bit yesterday about Jalen, but they're, they're, like, there's a lot of questions like, where in the world is Jalen Phillips? Not Carmen San Diego, but Jalen Phillips. And I'm unconcerned. It, it again, is more process versus results. Jalen Phillips would have had two sacks on Sunday against 98 other quarterbacks out of 100. His range and his athleticism, he is constantly flying around. He's constantly playing his butt off. Now, if I'm going to sit here and critique, would I like to see him get his hands a little bit tighter inside on the body on tight end so that he can more effectively dominate those reps? Yes. Would I ideally like to see him trust his ability to bend and flatten around the turn when he's rushing off the edge? Yes. But 46 pressures on Sunday, and Jalen had five of them, and he almost had an interception, and he had two run stuffs. And I think Jalen really, has really good potential in the run game if you're willing to slant him and crash him down inside. Now, I don't know how consistently you're going to do that because this is a gap control defense, but I'm not, I'm not worried about the stat sheet, right? I, I'm, I'm not worried. I want to see your influence on tape. And Jalen's influence is there. Now, there are reps that he can continue to grow and get better, but it is important to remember he like retired in college. And then unretired, played at Miami for a year, was phenomenal, stacked all the weight back on his frame, and now he's fully invested in being a professional football player. Like he's he's got a lot of room to grow. And he's in a system that, as we saw on Sunday, like they have all the potential in the world to heat you up. And they are playing from a coverage perspective, they're playing a little less man than they probably would otherwise because they don't have Byron Jones. The identity of the defense is the two corners, right? And we could talk about Cater in just a second here, but like when you don't have Byron Jones and you're more, more prompted to play more cover three, so you still have a high post player so that you still have that extra safety down in the box, but you're playing cover three on the outside where you're more soft on the back end. You know, it, it's not man-to-man -man and say, okay, we're just going to press across the board. We're going to press you. We're not going to let you off the line of scrimmage and disrupt your timing. 
Like all of these pieces fit together. And that's what I think is so beautiful about the Dolphins defense. So I know people are like, when is Jalen Phillips going to have a three sack performance as a first round? He's around the ball. He's playing his tail off. Be patient. The process is good. And the flat, the, the, the opportunities are there. Guys on the other side, get ball uh, the ball, get paid too. as far as cater. I, I don't think that I will be putting him into any other bucket other than like rookie or incomplete evaluation for my own roster evaluation purposes throughout the course of the season, just because it's such a small sample size, but he's playing really well. And like, he's, he's clamping down Jamison Crowder and Isaiah McKenzie on routes. That's really cool for a guy who like they're trusting him in man coverage too. When they get into some of these zero pressure looks like they're trusting him to play man to man coverage. Really good movement skills. A uh, little over aggressive, little over. I mean, he's he'll learn to trust it. He's not a big guy. Um, so bigger guys can probably give him fits, but that's why you play matchup specific. So I, I'm really encouraged by Cater and his early performance through the first three weeks of the season. And it gives you a great deal of confidence, A, when Byron comes back to, to now have that extra depth to have another guy that can come back in, but then B, your long-term outlook. Nick Needham's probably going to get paid. And I think about the team that you just played on Sunday, right? They had Levi Wallace was their second corner for four years. And everybody talked about, oh, really fun story. Not a great athlete, but a good instinctual player. He got $7 million to go play in Pittsburgh as an outside corner. And he's not as good as what he was in Buffalo because I think Buffalo on Sunday showed you why their defense is so good. And schematically, they got two phenomenal minds in, in Coach Sean McDermott and Coach Leslie Frazier that are control that defense. Um, but if Nick does end up getting an opportunity to go get paid to be a starting corner somewhere else, like having a guy waiting in the wings that can has a lot of parallels to, to his skill set, but quite frankly, is probably a better athlete and cater. It's a great long-term contingency plan for a guy that's going to be on a rookie contract and, and going to be a, an RFA uh, restricted free agent. Uh, before you have to worry about paying him like an actual second contract for several seasons. Super exciting development for the Dolphins. Listen, if you are looking for some exciting developments for your business, if you gear up for fall, you need the right people on your team to help make your small business fire on all cylinders. LinkedIn Jobs is here to help make it easier to find the right people you want to talk to faster and for free. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of 810 million people. Then add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. With simple tools like screening questions, it's easier than ever to focus on the candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. So why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NFL. That's linkedin.com slash locked on NFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Drew uh, with a personal question. Bless. Okay. Love the pod. Thank you. Been listening for over a year now. Thank you. Want to know more about you? Take a break from the fence. I don't know about take a break from the friends, but tell me about your football background. What led you to being a fan 
of the greatest football program in history fins up. Okay, so when I was a kid, I lived outside of uh, Atlanta. And this was in the early 90s. I was born in 89. And the Dolphins with Marino were always on TV. So they were the team that on Sundays, they were the good team that ended up being on TV. So they were the team I ended up seeing the most. And that was kind of how I got hooked in the fins, was seeing Marino on TV as a kid when I lived in the South. And then I moved back up north. Uh, as far as me and my football background, I played in high school. I got hurt my senior year, did not get a chance to, to pursue playing further. Um, so in college, I actually started coaching at the high school level. Uh, ended up coming back and play. I played two years of semi-professional football uh, in my early 20s after my injury had healed. And at that point, working full-time job, being out of college, like playing semi-pro football for a couple hundred dollar game check was and beating my body up with uh, no insurance or, or long-term outlook just for the love of the game really didn't make any sense anymore. Right. So I asked myself, okay, like how can I continue to be on this path in the game? I know I'm not done, but the ways that you usually are, are in the game when you're young don't really make sense for me anymore. And that's kind of where I got picked into scouting. Uh, I had a mentor of mine. His name is Mike. And I'm forever indebted to Mike. Mike, um, we knew each other mutually, uh, and he had gotten a job with the in the NFL as a scout for a team. And he had shared a lot of his early resources with me uh, that were very formative for me. Uh, from that point, I kind of took that mentorship. I got mentored by Gary Horton, who was one of the co-founders of Scout Inc. Uh, with Todd McShay and then Scout Inc. got absorbed by ESPN and Gary Horton kind of went his own separate way. And he was very gracious with his time with me and teaching me about the game. So uh, those are some of the the influences on me. So shout out Mike and shout out Gary uh, for uh, being large influences of me. And from there, it's just been searching out more about the game and becoming a student of the game and coaches clinics and lectures and uh, asking a lot of questions to a lot of people who are a lot of smarter than I am and have been in those rooms and been in those shoes. And, and the time that I've spent at draft network has allowed me to, uh, share and work with guys who have been scouts for the Patriots, the chargers, uh, the LSU tigers program. Uh, so I've had a Kansas city chiefs. I've had a lot of great influences, uh, and, and now coworkers at draft network that have a lot of league experience that, that help make me, view the game and challenge me to continue to view the game in new ways. Danny uh, wanted to ask if you think a defensive game plan that dares to run the ball uh, against the Bills is a good idea and a good way of keeping this game close. Of course, this was submitted before the Bills game. I would have thought so. Here's the thing. Bills really can't run the ball. And I think the Bills kind of know they can't run the ball. I would love to see what this Bills offense looked like if they had some dynamic play in the backfield. Now, James Cook can be that for them, and I think that's something that as this season develops, they will, just like the Dolphins will, they will have to find the right balance in. But Josh Allen's leading the team in rushing right now, and a lot of that is obviously based off the back of what he did against Miami. <laughs> um, but um, I got 113 rushing yards through three games. Uh, the Bills backfield 23, 13, and 13 is their carry split amongst their top three backs. Uh, very much a work in progress in the same way that Miami's is. And I'm very eager to see, I, I think you'll get through this game 
against Cincinnati on Thursday. And then I think that's really when you will see the opportunities for Miami and their investment in the run game to kind of invest some time into in live game settings, improving that. Uh, I think the game scripts that have played out against the quarterbacks that you have on the other side of the field have really not been conducive with the exception of the New England game. And I thought Miami ran the ball well against New England. Uh, New England possessed the ball, uh, long drives in the, the early portions of the game before the Dolphins kind of took over down the stretch. And Miami had two negative runs against New England and then two kneel downs at the end that killed the rushing average, where otherwise it would have been like four and a half yards per carry. So I'm not worried about the running game, but I, I do look at the schedule and see opportunities ahead when you get through having to play Joe Burrow and Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen, and it's high-stress scoring opportunities to instead go, okay, we're going to play the Jets. Okay, we're going to play the Steelers. Okay, we're going to play the Bears. Like, those are teams, and that's no disrespect to those teams. It's just they don't have, like, Pro Bowl, All-Pro caliber quarterbacks that is really going to stress you to feel like, hey, we, we have to create explosive plays. We have to chunk. We have to score. Uh, otherwise, this game script can get away from us. And you saw it did get away from you against Baltimore, and you don't want to live in that kind of world consistently. So, uh, Erbsky with a shout out. He wants a shout out to River Craycraft. Outstanding job exiting his route on his TD. This, of course, being against Baltimore. Um, and then also acknowledging, let's acknowledge River Craycraft for the touchdown that he scored in week three against Buffalo. River's a player who uh, I think his experience in the system really helps him, right? You think about Eric Azucama and, and the lack of impact from him so far, and there's no reason to worry here. He comes from a college spread offense that used a hand signal play call versus the verbiage that he has to deal with here and all the shifts and the motions. And that experience that River has is really helpful for him in being able to play and be an impact player because nobody's going to game plan to stop River Craycraft. Like it's just the way it is when you have an offense that has the backs that Miami has and Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill. Right. So um, I think for me, River's a player that it, we're at the point where you can't continue to elevate him on the practice squad with the way that the rules are. If you want him to continue to play on Sundays, you're going to have to elevate him to the 53-man roster. I'd look at the backfield. Miles Gaskin was a healthy scratch. And obviously, you're a play away from having an injury, and then Miles Gaskin is your second back. I get it. But uh, I don't know. There's a part of me that, that would really love to see River continue to get run because he plays teams. He could be a complimentary receiver. He knows the system. He's earned it. If we're being honest, I, you know, he had some drops in the preseason, but he's earned it with his play on Sundays when we're playing for keeps. It's a tough spot to be in, but that's another one of those questions that was submitted ahead of the bills game, but is absolutely relevant for what, where we find ourselves right now talking about uh, the Miami dolphins and where do they go from here? Dark sky with our next one. Been listening to the podcast daily for about two seasons. And as someone who had very limited knowledge in the ins and outs of player development, I've learned an incredible amount from you. Your podcast has got me through the lows of a bad game, group therapy, right? And you helped me ride high with the glorious victory Monday. So thank you. Not sure if you've seen the tape 
of someone flipping Tua's highlights this season where it looks like he's a righty. But people all of a sudden started saying his passes have more zip and look more like prototypical elite NFL quarterback. My question is, do you think some of the bias surrounding the whole Tua can't throw deep simply comes from people not being accustomed to seeing a lefty quarterback? Skyler. I have really tried not to touch this. <laughs> if we're being honest. But we are being honest, and the question was asked, and I will honor the question. I think a lot of the affiliations and assumptions made with Tua, and like I've been very transparent with my concerns, my feedback, my observations, the things that I see, the things that I like, the things that I don't like with Tua Tagovailoa. He's the starting quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. We all want him to do well, or at least we should. And if you don't, then shame on you. But Tua doesn't look like the standard of what a lot of quarterbacks look like. And the fact that he's the, the layer that he's left-handed is just like the further icing on the cake, right? And I made a lot of these mistakes in scouting in general when I was young, uh, when I was just getting started and kind of pursued this path for myself to make this my career. You would, because I coached and I was mentored and taught and I played. Not at superbly high levels, but nevertheless, I think my mentorships, as I've already acknowledged, were, were of people who have been to very pretty high, high heights. So a lot of great perspective in those conversations. But when you're taught things, your first assumption as you explore further into that subject is the way that you are taught is exactly what it's supposed to be and how it's supposed to look and how it's supposed to feel. You know, I played in a gap control defense when I played football. So I like guys who can stack the point of attack, lock, peak, shed, defensive line play. Keep your linebackers clean. Let your linebackers make plays. Well, there's guys that are three techniques and wide nine defensive ends who could give two farts about engaging a blocker. And their whole thing is I'm trying to get penetration. I'm trying to get through blocks and get heels deep on defensive linemen on offensive linemen, and then go make a play. So you'd watch those guys and be like, well, that's not what it's supposed to look like because I was taught this. And I think with Tua, the point guard style of play does not look like the sexy home run hitting, never mind the fact that now he is one of the more proficient 20-plus yard passers, and the volume is in a much higher clip than what it was last year beyond 20 yards downfield. Being a left-handed quarterback, well, that's not how it's supposed to look. Now, Tua's had plenty of areas for growth, and we've talked about them on this show. But I think a lot of people just look at him play, and they say, well, that's not what it's supposed to look like. He's no good. And I think you really, if that's the viewpoint in which you, you view the game, I think you really sell yourself short on seeing a lot of the beauty that exists with the game. That's my thoughts on that. Uh, Frankie. Great mix of content that blends fan opinion with strategic insight. Perfect podcast for fans that are tired of lazily researched, thrown together content spewed by national outlets. Thank you so much. If you guys ever feel like I go down that path, please tell me. Please tell me. And I, I might have something to say back, but usually it will be a thank you for your insight. And I take all the feedback that exists with this show, and this is a community and a family, and I love it. Uh, I take it all in consideration. 
So don't ever let me be that person, please. Uh, Mr. Hewitt, I think that's I think that's your name here that I'm looking for. Lifelong Dolphins fan, love the pod. You do a great job, especially when it's Victory Monday and Club Dub. We, you already know. But what I always look forward to the show every morning uh, while driving to work regardless, as much as I like Coach Flo and how he built the defense, it's become abundantly clear he and the folks in the front office had zero confidence in Tua, but now he's got everyone on his side. He has seemed to really improve to be what this team needs. Can you speak to the importance of believing in or instilling confidence in your players and what effects that can have on the team? Sure. I don't know that it's necessarily fair to say that everyone in the front office or, or the folks in the front office had zero confidence in Tua because they just told you otherwise in the decision to commit to Tua over the quarter, uh, over the coach that were, that were acknowledging it's a phenomenal defensive mind and has brought plenty of good to the Dolphins organization with the foundational years that he laid. But the shortcomings, I'll talk about the shortcomings on that I think exist with the coaching tree that Brian Flores came out of that we are seeing in hindsight and will be why I will forever vouch to not hire Patriots coaches. Never mind you could just say, oh, well, they don't have success. Well, why don't they have success? Think about coaching, as we've seen with Coach McDaniel and with a lot of Doug Peterson in Jacksonville. The Jaguars are two and one. Doug Peterson this offseason when the Brian when Brian Flores was relieved was my top choice. And I really like that he had previous coaching experience as a head coach in the NFL. Love Coach McDaniel. Very happy that he's here. I have no ego about no wanting Doug Peterson instead. But Coach McDaniel and Coach Doug Peterson tapped into relationships from their time across the league in various different stops to assemble the best possible coaching staff that they could, right? Coaches in the Patriots pipeline are very isolated. They don't have the network, especially if you're a defensive-minded coach. Josh McDaniels was the OC in New England for like 15 of the last 18 years. So you have this bottleneck on the offensive side of the ball for your pipeline, if you are a lifer within New England and you come up, who's the only offensive contact that you know that has had any play-calling experience? Josh McDaniels. Josh McDaniels ain't going to leave to be your OC. He wants to be a head coach. He just took the job in, in Las Vegas this year. Not doing a particularly good job of it, but I digress. So your contacts, as far as filling out an offensive staff, you need to be willing to go out and get somebody accomplished. Well, the Dolphins didn't do that year one. It was Chad O'Shea. And they replaced Chad O'Shea with Shane Gailey, who is an experienced offensive play caller. Well, at some point along the way, somebody decided it would be a good idea to cut Shane Gailey out from the knees. And Shane Gailey was an OC without, with his short, shortcomings. But Shane Gailey also found out, along with all of us on television, when the Dolphins made a quarterback change. Hello. So we get to the end of the year and Shane says, I'm out. And now you have nobody left to hire. So what do you do? You, you bring in Charlie Fry, who worked with two in high school or at Elite 11 or whatever it was, to be the quarterback's coach with two years of college coaching experience at the FBS level at a directional Michigan school. And you promote internally and create co-coordinators because you don't have anybody. Right. And I know we've talked about this before on the show as well, but like this is why it didn't work. 
So now you make a coaching change. You retain the defensive infrastructure. You get a coach in here offensively who knows his, you know what, from a hole in the ground offensively. And now all of a sudden there's a reason why you're doing things. There's a reason why the offense is structured the way it is. There's a reason why you're combining this look with this shift, with this motion to get this ice, this matchup in the run game to get this safety to bump over when they push the second level so that you get a safety playing a linebacker and you get a, like a, a lesser player so that you can run the ball at him. Right? It's just one example. Never mind all the stuff we're doing with Tyreek Hill. So it extends beyond to a tongue of a low, a two. Like, remember the discourse we had last October about Jalen Waddell versus Jamar Chase and Kyle Pitts? Team, Jordan Palmer told me this. Jordan Palmer, quarterbacks coach, who's worked with a lot of great quarterbacks, including Josh Allen. Uh, we had him on Draft Dudes, which is my NFL draft podcast with Joe Marino. Teams bust on players just as frequently or more frequently than players bust on teams. A guy like Tua, who very clearly is invested in doing the right kinds of things, acknowledged the environment that he had to play when, but then look at, look at Jalen Waddle last year. Pretty average, 9.8 yards per catch. Do we really think Jalen Waddle's not an explosive receiver? Or was he just playing? Again, I'll go back to the argument that we had last October. You mean to tell me if you put Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase in last year's offense, they're going to have 1,000 yards, 18 yards a catch, and 15 touchdowns? Or did the offensive structure stink? And lo and behold, we're three weeks into this year, and Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle are both top two in the NFL. In receiving yards and Jalen Waddle's number two by two yards behind Stefan Diggs. You tell me. Huge. The change is huge. And obviously, the dividends, it's still early. But the return on investment for Miami to this point already has given me a lot of hope for what this season can look like. Uh, our next question. Been thinking about this for a while. Can't get it on my head. Thought it was strange when I saw Byron Jones in the hospital when he had his procedure. Remember thinking, why didn't he do this right after the season? Then it became came out about the stipulation of being healthy at the start of the new football year determined his guaranteed money. Do you think or know if Byron made this strategic move and that's why he's not healthy enough to play in the first four games? I do not. Um, and I don't know Byron's situation. I don't know the team situation. I don't know the medical history. Um, I just trust that Byron Jones did what was best for him and what was best for the team to make sure that they could have him at a hundred percent optimum capacity for as much of this season as possible. At the end of the day, it is also a business. I don't know. It, it, that's, that's a lot of layers that I don't have familiarity with. So I unfortunately cannot speak intelligently to. Our next one comes from Board and Board. It's been said before, Kyle makes me a smarter fan. Thank you. I appreciate he's just as big of a fan of, of this team as we are. Feels like home, and that's look. That's what we're trying to do. Oh, I I'm not shy about the team that I love, um, but I also want to be objective about what is happening and why it's happening, and then how it can change if it needs to be changed and how it can be sustained if it doesn't need to change. Question, do you feel, what do you feel has been Tua's biggest improvement last year to this year through 
three games after Buffalo so far. Obviously, a competent offensive scheme helps, but as someone who grinds the tape specifically, what about Tua is better? I think Tua is seeing the field more, and we should not gloss over the report that Ian Rappaport had on Sunday ahead of the Bills game. Uh, it was reported that Tua Tungavaloa in this offensive system is not charged with setting protections. Uh, that is instead the responsibility of the offensive line. And that was not the case last year. Tua responsible for reading the front, setting the protection, getting guys communicated, and then switching to, okay, what's the entire defensive structure? Two, one of Tua's greatest strengths going all the way back to Alabama has always just kind of been like naturally instinctive player. And if and my understanding of when he was at Alabama, he didn't set protections either. That was on like Landon Dickerson and company up front to set protections. And that again takes me back to Brian Flores coaching experiences in New England. Well, what's the only, for the entirety of Brian Flores' career in New England, what was the standard and expectation that was set for him as what, was, what quarterback play was supposed to be? Tom Brady, greatest of all time argument. So if that's the standard you're going to hold any quarterback to, and that's the expectation that you have for how he's going to work operations at the line of scrimmage, that's going to be tough sledding because guess what? Not a lot of guys that do it like Tom does. So I think the fact that they have removed that layer of responsibility for him allows somebody else to make a call. Everybody's on the same page as far as what the call means for protection, where I'm hot, where I'm coming from. They should block it this way because this is the call. It can be much more reactive instead of pre-snap, adding more pre-snap diagnosis allows him to play more naturally. And I think you're seeing that and you're seeing as a result, he's more free with his progressions after the snap. I think that's the one thing that I've seen. I've seen a lot more of the pure head across the field snaps. One of his first, the, the comeback throw that he threw the Trent Sherfield that drew the defensive holding on the opening possession. That was a full field read. And by the time he hit the top of his drop, he had scanned the entire field. He wasn't doing that too often last year in part because of system, in part because of own internal growth as a player. That's what I would point to. We have one more. One more review. Comes from Mike. Uh, and it was the, uh, the one that he overwrote last week after Baltimore saying, yeah, just ignore my question about Tua. <laughs> Basically, it was begging you to convince me that this wasn't same old Dolphins at halftime of Ravens game. By the time you read this new one, hopefully we have another example from the Bills game. Question that I do have the second half of Ravens game. If Kohu is able to outplay Needham these next couple weeks, does he have the potential to move inside and take the nickel spot? Yes. Uh, I don't know that he will. I don't know that that will keep Needham off the field. Um, Nick's been hit or miss a little bit to start the year, but I thought he really made a couple nice plays at the end of the Buffalo game that were needed, um, which you love to see. But I, I think you will find opportunities. And Josh Boyer said this at the end of the Baltimore game. It was more matchups, right? Devin Duvernay is a fast dude. And I do think Cater is a better athlete than what Nick is. 
So this may be a case of week by week basis. We look out there and we see who we have and say, okay, we're going to play man or we're going to play more zone. We're going to man you up and they got a guy like that. It might be cater time. So that is power to the pod for Wednesday, September 28th, 2022. Tomorrow is game day. So tomorrow, I need you guys to plan accordingly. We're going to have a crossover Thursday with Locked On Bengals. We're going to have a crafting a game plan to beat the Cincinnati Bengals. I have to watch tape on the Bengals, and I'm doing that Tuesday night. I'm recording on Tuesday night and Wednesday. So that first thing Thursday morning, I can drop that pod. And I understand that will have a short shelf life. I appreciate the patience. Make sure you catch it. Get yourselves ready for game day. We're going to drop two podcasts on Thursday. Then we're going to post game on Friday. And depending on how it goes, we might be having a club dub celebration on the weekend too. We did seven last week. We're getting at least six this week when it's all said and done. So we're going to have a lot of fun. Make sure you hit subscribe. Keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins. I am Kyle Krabs. Thanks for checking out the show. Make it a great rest of your Wednesday. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Fins up.